You're listening to the Passion Church Podcast. Our mission is to help people win by living a genuine Jesus-filled life. If you are ever in Cameron, Missouri, then come and join us and be a part of the Passion Church family. You can visit our website, passionchurchmo.com, to find out more about us. Those of you who are streaming today, God bless you. We're glad that you could be a part with us. We're glad that you're here at Passion Church with us. We thank you for tuning in. Those of you who are listening by radio, God bless you. We're so glad that you're a part of the Passion Church broadcast. We're so happy to have you. Today we're going to finish up a sermon series called Jump the Broom. And uh, today is the final message called The Final Sweep. And we'll get into that here in just a second. But right now, Luke, the 11th chapter. Last week we started with the first verse, and it led us into where the disciples asked Jesus how to pray. And so Jesus taught them how to pray, how to approach the Lord, how to approach him on the grounds that you have a relationship with him and how to approach the throne in worship and, and awe and adoration. And then for you to deal with the situations in your own life, such as forgiveness for others, and and how to make petitions known unto the Lord. And then before you leave the presence of the king, you come back to that place of all surrender, allowing him to understand that you're here on the earth to fulfill his purposes, not your own. And so having said that, let's pick up uh, with verse number five, which is immediately following that discourse. And he said unto them, which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine in his journey is come to me and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, trouble me not. The door is now shut And my children are in bed with me. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. In other words, because it's inconvenient and you keep knocking, he's going to get up and do it. Verse 9. And I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Now, what is the subject? The subject is prayer. He's teaching us prayer has a persistence. It's not that God ever has a problem hearing nor answering your prayer. It's sometimes we have trouble staying in belief. Sometimes we have a hard time after we've asked God to give us something for us to stay on the path of belief so that we might receive. And so sometimes what Jesus is doing is he's giving us the understanding that God's not irritated if you come over and over. It doesn't irritate him because sometimes you have to do that in order for you to stay in belief. Are you with me so far? I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. For everyone that asketh receiveth. Now, how many people receive? Everyone that asked received. Now, that right there, I could close this book. We could go home today and say, hallelujah. That means God doesn't deny his children. Oh, look at this. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be open. If a son shall ask bread of you, that is a, of you, that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give for a fish a serpent? Or if he shall ask for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? 
If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? Now see, this prayer isn't just about frivolous need. This isn't the subject of what Jesus is saying. He's saying if you want to measure up to kingdom standard, kingdom purpose, and walk with the Father the way Adam was supposed to walk with the Father, it might take a little seeking on your part. It might take a little knocking on your part. It's going to take a little extra belief on your part at times to stay with this thing, walking it out, and getting what you need for you to be able to carry this out. If you ask for the Holy Spirit, he's certainly not going to give you an evil spirit. If you ask for the Holy Spirit, he's certainly not going to give you some lecture. He's not going to just give you some Bible verse. He's going to give you an encounter with the Holy Spirit himself, and the Holy Spirit will then become your partner in this thing called salvation. Who could say amen to that? Mm. Now, look at this. I love this because while he's teaching, he's in the middle of teaching in prayer, something happens. Verse 14, and he was casting out a devil. You mean devils manifest while the word is being taught? Yes, they do. Slap your neighbor a high five. Say, it's good to see you here, here, you little devil. No, no, I'm I'm joking. I'm joking. He was casting out a devil, and it was dumb. Well, uh, duh, every devil's dumb. They think they can come against God, think they can come against the child of God, but, but this means he couldn't speak. And it came to pass when the devil was gone out, the dumb spake. In other words, the devil was keeping him from the ability to have speech, and the people wondered. Didn't mean they wandered around. It means they were in wonder. Wow, who is this? Who has this kind of power that they can bind up a devil, cast him out, and it sets the person free? But some of them said that always there were religious spirits around. Every church has a religious spirit somewhere. But some of them said, He casteth out devils through Beelzebub, the chief of the devils. Oh, wait a minute. Now we're getting, we're getting in dangerous territory when we accuse uh, the, the acts of God to the devil. Look at this. And others tempting him sought of him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house falleth. If Satan also be divided against himself, how shall his kingdom stand? Because you say that I cast out devils through Beelzebub, and if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your sons cast them out? He's addressing the church. Therefore shall they be your judges. Let your children be your judges for your foolishness of your mouth. Because you have attributed the power of God to a idolized devil, Beelzebub, Lord of the flies. Look at this, verse 20. But if I by the finger of God cast out devils, that means the authority of God, no doubt the kingdom of God is upon you. How many of you ever had your mama point her finger at you when you were in trouble? And how many knew when your middle name was spoken, you better, you better start paying attention? That's authority. Now, this is a human version of it, but that's authority. And this is what Jesus is saying. He says, if I can cast a devil out by the authority of God, If I can put my finger on the problem and take care of it, you have no right to judge that. Mm. I'm having fun. Are you okay? So, verse 21. I'm going to back up to 20 anyway. But if... I, with the finger of God, cast out devils. No doubt the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods 
are in peace. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he taketh from him all his armor wherein he trusted and divided his spoils. He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest and finding none. He saith, I will return unto my house whence I came out. And when he cometh, he findeth it swept and garnished. Then goeth he and taketh to him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of the man is worse than the first. I could go on, but I'm going to stop right there. We started a couple of weeks ago, three, three or four weeks ago, with the understanding of it's time to jump the broom. You all know, I won't go into great detail, but it, it was a ritual during the times of slavery uh, that jumping the broom was a sign of marriage. You had made the covenant, though slaves could not, illegally get married, they would have this ceremony to say to the world, we're committed to one another for life. And we started this series with the understanding that the church needs to jump the broom. We've got enough playing around and enough harlotry going on that the church of Jesus Christ needs to clean up its act and it needs to get right and it needs to go forward in Jesus Christ. It is time for us to jump the broom. And then we found out that the broom... In the Old Testament, always swept towards judgment. Every time it's referred to in the Old Testament, it has to do with judgment. In the New Testament, under grace, it sweeps to the side of finding lost things of value. I love that parable because it tells me I'm worth something to God that he would sweep all the dirt away to find me. I love that. Today, we're going to finish up. I know last week I laid the foundation that we, we and then the reason I did that was because we have to understand that all of this is in the same context. And you, in order for all of this to make sense, we had to start with the Lord's Prayer and what it really means. Today, we're going to find out that the broom sweeps both directions. The same God of mercy who comes to find me and sweep the dirt is the same God who will be sweeping nations into judgment. And God is just. And his judgments are just. And so, having said that, Let's go quickly back through the word. In verses 5 through 13, the parable basically tells us if God is your friend, if he's your father, he's approachable. That's what we learned last week. Our father, which art in heaven, before worship started, relationship started. You won't worship someone if you don't have relationship. You have no praise to say for anybody unless you have relationship with that person. And once you have relationship with that person, you see the good. And you see the things that you can brag on. And so... In that parable, he wants us to understand that when we approach the throne, we have open access to our Father. These are the words of Jesus, the Word. These are the words of the one that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is the one who at 12 years old was confounding the lawyers of the law of the word because he could stump them with his words. And this is the one they're calling Beelzebub. But in this parable, he's trying to teach the disciples the understanding 
that God is approachable. He won't give you something evil or something contrary to what you've asked for. He's trustworthy. He's a good father and not an irritated neighbor. If an irritated neighbor will give you what you want just to shut you up, how much more will a loving heavenly Father who has relationship with you, who's taken the broom of heaven and swept every nook and cranny to find you, how much more will he be willing to entertain you and hear what you have to say and answer what you request? Are you with me so far? So look at this. In verse 13, he tells us what this real context of all of this is about. Relationship that's lasting because of the infilling of the Holy Spirit of God. You and the Father really are more than just related. You are more than just a child. You came from the breath of God. You belong to him. Very breath is life. And when man breathed in the garden, he became a living soul. Mm. And Jesus is explaining here, you have a right to come to the Father because he's vested in you. You have a right to come and to ask because he wants you to have the very best he has to offer. He's offered Jesus, and Jesus is standing before them. But not long from this conversation, you will receive the Holy Spirit. What do you think they were praying in the upper room? Holy Spirit, come. Paraclete, come. Helper, come. They had no idea what that would be like. They had no idea that he would come in a tornadic blast, mess up their languages and, and mess everybody in the region up, cause 3,000 people to be converts in one afternoon. They had no idea that they would turn the world upside down. At this moment, they're just getting their instruction that God loves you so much, he's invested in you. He loves you so much that he won't do without you, so he's giving you a part of him to help you succeed. Mm, man, I'm having fun. So, he's just delivered this good news, and guess what? A devil arises. The devil always fights anything good, and anytime you get a revelation from God, the devil comes to steal it. Have you ever read the parable? As soon as the word is delivered, the enemy comes immediately to steal. And so he's just delivered to them life. And the devil says, I don't like this. I don't like this. I don't like this a bit. And so he rises up in a man. Now, I don't know what agitation he caused. I don't know what it was. But the person himself couldn't talk because his jaws were clamped by the devil. And Jesus cast that devil out. And the moment he does, he becomes verbally persecuted for using his God-given authority. <laughs> and verse 16, he's just like in unbelief of their unbelief. And of course, they're calling him anything but righteous, the Son of God. But because he's messing up their little religious agenda, they want to fight him. And because Satan's not happy, he's going to fight him. And so he, he stirs up a little trouble to get the religious spirits agitated. Because the devil can't beat the church. The devil can't take a church apart, so what he does is he stirs up religious humanity. 
And if he can get people to fight against you, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. So if he can stir up people and distract you with that, then he can tear things apart. What he's trying to teach the disciples here is you are a whole lot more important than you think you are, and you have a whole lot more power than you understand because you, by relationship, will have the Holy Spirit, and you're going to be able to do even greater things than you've seen me do here on the earth, even though the world couldn't contain the books. If the church would ever wake up and arise to its real calling, we could would turn our world and our region so upside down that it would cause the devil to, to grow a mustache uh, with ingrown hair right up his nose. I don't know how that makes sense, but I did it. In verse 17, Jesus tells them that any kingdom divided is in disunity and will collapse. He's telling this to the religious crowd. If I was casting the devil out by the power of a devil, wouldn't that be stupid? Because the devil himself is pretty stupid, but he ain't that dumb. He understands that a kingdom divided shall fall. How do you reckon he got in the position that he's in? And so he says in verse 19, if, if I'm of the devil, then your converts are Satan himself. We, don't see, we see the polite little Jesus. We don't know that he was a warrior. Verse, verse 20, he says, but it's God's authority that I operate in, not Beelzebub. It's God's authority. And when a man thinks his strength is enough, he's happy with that. He goes right back into a teaching opportunity. He says, if a man has a palace and he's a strong man, he will take care of that palace. And the only way anything can happen to him is if a man stronger than him comes along. Pay close attention to this analogy. <laughs> He says, it's God's authority that I operate in, but when a man thinks his strength is enough and he's happy with that, he needs to beware because we're not called to be self-sufficient. We're called to be God-sufficient. Mm. But when someone with more than self-reliant strength comes along, the self-reliant is overwhelmed and defeated, and now he's bankrupt because his goods were easy pickings due to the fact that he was standing in his own strength, which is only weakness. This is how the devil gains access on us is we get self-reliant and we think we can do this. And Jesus is teaching the disciples that without the Holy Spirit, you haven't got a prayer. And if at any time in your walk with God, you decide, I got this, you better look out for a certain destruction. Verse 23, so because of your religious uh, uh, ideas and you fight me instead of work with me, he's telling the religious crowd, you now have no part in the ingathering of the great harvest of God. That one act kept them out of the kingdom purpose. They attributed the power of God to the Then he went on to tell him, instead of gathering with me, you're scattering the harvest by your self-imposed, self-sufficient, self-reliant attitudes, and you are really not any good to the kingdom at all. Between verses 14 and 23, he also uh, talks about deliverance. And so he, he, he brings us to the understanding that he uses his words in this case, like a two-edged sword. 
Yes, he's talking about deliverance from demonic oppression because he has just proven it by the power of demonstration. But even greater, he's exposing the religious do-nothings for who they really are. And Jesus is swinging the sword, the word of God, in both directions. Now we get to the subject at hand in verse 24. When by the authority of God you cast out a devil, it is expelled to a place of fruitlessness. It cannot produce anything when you dispel it. It was holding this man in bondage and torment and tying his tongue so he couldn't speak. But by the time Jesus pointed the finger of God at him, that man was free and operating in a a life of freedom. But Jesus gives a warning about the dry place. First of all, he says a dry place is a place where Satan cannot carry out or a demon cannot carry out its purpose or its function, which primarily is torment. And after it finds out that it can't produce anything and it's frustrated because it's not fulfilling its assignment, it will find itself in a place where it hasn't found another living creature, it has nothing else to torment, And so what it decides to do is I'll come back and regain entrance into the place that I have been expelled. So he tries to return. And when he returns, he finds the person's soulless realm swept and clean. The word says garnished. Garnished means put in order. His life is now in order. He's got God where God belongs and self where self belongs. (laughs) Everything swept clean, put in order, furnished, and decorated. And this drives the chaotic mind of an unclean, tormenting spirit crazy. They hate order. They hate structure. They hate cleanness. And they fight it with everything in them. And because the soul is in order and because the spirit has been renewed, swept clean, free, peaceful, calm, assured, delivered, the enemy wants to return. That word delivered means to to be saved, to be rescued, or to be set free from. And any hungry soul, listen to me, church, can be delivered. It doesn't matter what's got you trapped. If you want to be free, you can be free because you have a relationship with the Father. This is why it talks about in that particular passage that if an earthly father is asked to give his son an egg, he doesn't give him a scorpion. If he's asked for fish, he doesn't give him a snake. And he's painting the picture That if God gives you the Holy Spirit and he's delivered you from something of your past that has plagued you, tormented you, and given you a hard time, and the enemy tries to come back, he's going to find that your house is put in order, the Holy Spirit is there, you've been garnished with the power of God, and the devil really cannot regain entrance there because God has staked the claim on the territory. Now, I'm not done, so hang on with me. But I want to reiterate, if I can real quickly, that any hungry soul can be delivered. Slap your neighbor a high five and say, I'm so glad you are free. (laughs) Any delivered person is truly free. That's a drop the mic moment right there, but it costs too much. Any delivered person is truly free. Every delivered person has had their soul set in order. But every delivered person will be tested. And every delivered person will be tried. The enemy 
the unclean spirit or your enemy always tries to return. You come to the altar, you get born again. You get your life set in order. The house gets swept and garnished and clean. You've given up gross darkness that you didn't want anyone to know that you've held in a closet for the majority of your life and you walk out and you're free and there's no feeling quite like being free in Christ. There's no feeling to know like like knowing that I've been delivered. I don't have to go back to the hog slop anymore. I don't have to go back and act like a deviant anymore. I don't have to be loose with my tongue and my lifestyle anymore. I'm born again. I'm a born again child child of God. I walk with him, have relationship with him, am filled with his spirit, have the power to help others find what I have found. Mm. I just had to do that because it feels good. But that enemy always wants to return and he wants to spread his unclean, filthy torment again in your field, in your house in your palace. And when he can't find any way to get in because you've been delivered in the area of his torment, I'm just going to throw one out, anger. If if an angry devil can't get you angry anymore, he realizes it's been swept, it's been cleaned, there's no place for me. And I can't stand all this cleanness. Yuck. Can't stand it. So it says he goes out, and, and I, it's a divine number. He pulls together seven. Why seven? Because there's only power in God. And he gets seven other spirits as nasty and even more vile than he is. I'm going to help you. And so he can't shake you up with anger, so he comes along with perversion and starts trying to cast images into your mind. Then he comes along. Somebody throw something out that I can use. Then he comes along with Addiction, bitterness, unforgiveness, offense. And he comes with a bombardment. You're not just getting hit now by the one devil that had you bound. There are seven coming at you all at the same time. Why? Because if you give in to any one of the seven, the one that left gets to come back in. He gets to come back into your life. And now you're in a whole lot worse shape because there's a whole lot more deliverance that needs to happen in you. I'm telling you a truth that churches shy away from because they don't know how to answer this question. It's because they don't read the Word. They piecemeal the Word. Look at this. And when he can't find someone, he'll try to return from where he was cast from, finding it clean and in order by one stronger than himself, Christ. And this upsets him. So he brings others even more vile to try to help him regain access. And if one of those demons can seize upon a weakness in the new convert and find a place of weakness by temptation, if the covenant... Uh, If the convert reopens an old door or a new one by sinful practice, I know I've already said this, but it's worth reiterating. If there's a lack of resistance, this man ends up more tormented than he was to begin with. And this is where our partnership with the Holy Spirit is crucial. Because when the Holy Spirit is in you, You are no longer a self-reliant person. You are a person empowered by the greatest power ever. And you have not only been accosted by a stronger man than you, 
Oh, but if you've been delivered, you have the strongest man living in you. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Greater is he that resides within me than the devil from without trying to gain access in. Greater is he. No wonder the devil tries to bring seven more because he understands by himself he's a defeated foe. He cannot do it so he comes to pelt you and if he can get you in a moment of self-reliance he'll gain access and torment you the more but if he comes up against the strongest man he cannot gain access whatsoever mm -mm -mm. I'm having fun Whew. okay a much stronger man now resides in the convert, the child of God. You are a saint, not a sinner. The church has labored so long to convince you that you're going to sin every day. And I say shut that mess up. No wonder we're Mamby Pamby. No wonder society has run over us. No wonder the world is in the problems and the hardships and the difficulties it is. We don't even know who we are. We don't know that the strongest man lives on the inside of us. The man that the cross could not defeat has sent his spirit to, to help us defeat the devil in the same way he defeated him. Got to hurry. I've only got 36 pages of notes left. That new believer or delivered believer has all the power he needs to resist the tormentors who come to harass. But the believer must become proactive in his walk. The believer must become proactive. You don't get saved and then sit idle. You don't get saved and have no responsibility. You get saved and take on the responsibility now of the understanding that the stronger man lives in me. The strongest man who can put the devil to flight is in me. And I'm not backing down. I'm not quitting. I'm not letting something designed against me take me out of the game. But I will be standing when the smoke clears in this battle. I'll still be standing in the strongest man. According to James, the fourth chapter, and I believe it's the seventh verse, it says, Submit therefore unto God. We always want to forget that part. We quote the last part, but we always forget the first part. Submit, therefore, unto God. Bow to his authority. Bow to his goodness. You were just taught that over in the Lord's Prayer. Bow yourself to his goodness, his holiness, his purpose, his righteousness, his truth. Then let the strongest man in you resist the temptation that's brought against you. Because in your resistance, the devil will find an impenetrable wall. That wasn't in my notes, but you got it. Ladies and gentlemen, this is what faith has been given to us for. I'm not saying there's not other benefits to faith. No, there's many, many myriad of benefits. But this is the main thrust of faith. The understanding that I'm not who I used to be. I am who God intends me to be. To believe not only that God is, but that God does. For greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. He, the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Father. But in order to resist Satan, you must first submit. 
That word submit means to accept or to yield to a superior force or to the will and authority of another person. In this case, it means both. It means to give in, to yield, to give way, to back down, and to cave in and to bow and to capitulate to the one who's greater than you. Do you, ladies and gentlemen, understand that you are more powerful, more important, and more in the plan of God than Satan ever was? He is insignificant. He is rubbish to the kingdom. He is the footstool of our God. God and you are in him and you are far more important than any darkness and we build it up in Hollywood that Satan is so powerful when the truth is he is a peon he has no power of his own but deception and deception alone and he comes at your mind to deceive I've got to hurry. So we have to understand that also we are to subject ourselves to a particular process. That's what this means, submit. Submit yourself to the one and his process. Submit yourself to the greatest and his process. We're almost through. Submit yourself to the greatest and to his process mm. thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven so what's our life supposed to look like no one in heaven bows to sin this is why Jesus taught this first no one in heaven bows to sin and no one on earth should bow to sin no one in heaven is in torment no one on earth should be in torment. No one in heaven is sick. Now, this is a tough one because we don't understand this one. I got to be honest with you. I don't always understand it either. But no one in heaven is sick, so no one on earth should be sick. And I don't want people going out here feeling like you're sinful because you might have a sickness. Don't, don't you let the devil sell you that mess. Don't let the, we're keeping this in balance. But sickness comes because sin entered into the earth, and it happens. And we have to have strength enough to resist it and stand up against it and not allow it to be in our life to the best of our ability. But because sin entered in by Adam, all men are now born in weakness. And Adam's willful rejection of God's word subjected all of mankind to a rebellious, defiant, self-willed condition called death. And a man must have a stronger man in him to keep his house swept and in order. If you come to this altar and you pray through to salvation and you weep bitter tears, but you walk out and make no preparation to stay in the kingdom and to stay in this walk with him, you are a sitting duck for the devil. A man must have a stronger man. The religious pharisaical crowd couldn't deliver the man, so they criticized the one who could. But Jesus revealed their weakness by releasing his word, the two-edged sword. So in order to maintain a delivered life, you must bow to the stronger man, the Holy Spirit, by submission. That means you take everything to the Holy Ghost. When you're... Looking at a business deal, take it to the Holy Ghost. When Miss Temptress walks by, you take that to the Holy Ghost. When your lying tongue wants to create and fabricate something, you better take that to the Holy Ghost before you do it because if you open the door, the devil has a right to come in and torment your life. Is this too hard? <clears throat> Because I'm not going to stop. <laughs> so let me finish this. It's God's way, not our way. 
we must resist. That word resistance is the refusal to accept or to comply with something. What is the something? It is thoughts. It is our thought life where the battle is won or lost. According to 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, the 5th verse, it says we must take every thought captive. That means bring it to the Holy Ghost. Bring it to the knowledge of the Word. Bring it, bring it, bring it to God, the strongest man. And he'll give you what you need in the hour of temptation to say no. Hmm. The Amplified reads it this way. We are destroying sophisticated arguments and every exalted and proud thing that sets itself up against the true knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought and purpose captive to the obedience of Christ Jesus. So number one, you have got to submit to the Holy Spirit. Number two, to the truth you know in God's word. Now listen to me. You can only wield yourself strong based upon what you know in the Word and what you have placed in you for the Holy Spirit to work with in you. This is why we must be in the Word. Are you still with me? (laughs) This is why, I know you are, I just picked. This is why we must be in the Word. We can't be slackers. And I said it that way on purpose. And I'm not pointing because then there's all this stuff pointing back at me. It's in the slack times that I've become weak. It's in the times that I'm not where I should be in Christ that I find myself doing things that I can't believe I'm doing. Why? Because of slackness. I've got to quit. So, you have to submit to the Holy Spirit and to the truth that you know in God's Word. Then use your God-given ability to say no to thoughts that pull you away from God. By submitting to God first, you empower your resistance. That ought to make every rebel in here excited. It's okay to be a rebel, but let's be a rebel for the right cause. Let's be a rebel for the right things. While the world is shaking its fist and all the wrong things and upholding all the wrong things, it's time the church gets a voice and stands up and becomes a rebel about the right things. By submitting to God, first you empower your resistance, and resistance in your strength is sure defeat. If you don't submit to God, get in his word and find out what his word says and bring that word up every time the enemy comes at you in a time of testing when the enemy's knocking trying to find an entrance into your life. He can come in even though the strongest man is there. He can come in. He can torment your life because you've been a do-nothing with the word and you've been a do-nothing with his spirit and you've not subjected yourself or brought yourself under the authority of God And allowed God to be God in your life. So in your self-reliance, you got yourself in another mess. No, resistance is a partnership with the Holy Spirit and an agreement with God's Word. And this is how you stay delivered. And ladies and gentlemen, this is the final sweep of God. For by following Christ in this way, the final sweep for you will be one of eternal kingdom victory and not judgment. But self-reliance will sell us to the enemy. Stand to your feet. Those of you that are streaming, bow your heads with us today. 
If you're here today, I'm not going to ask any specifics. You're here today that touched you. It spoke something to you. It challenged you. Would you just by the uplifted hand, raise your hand just real quickly. I'm not calling anybody out, not picking on anyone, not shining a camera on you. Hands up, keep them up. Father, in the name of Jesus, we are the church of today. We are the church of Jesus Christ, and the strongest man lives in us. And, Father, we're through. By our hand raised right now, we're saying we are through with weak-willed living. We are through with self-reliant living, self-willed purposes. But we surrender now every part of who we are to the power of the strongest man within us who can overthrow the stronger one who comes at us in so many other ways. Uh, yes, he's only stronger than us simply because without God, we are easy pickings with God. God, we have the power to overthrow and overturn him at any moment. So we lean to the power of the Holy Spirit that resides within us, the partnership in our salvation called the Holy Spirit. And we dispel all weak-willed living and command ourselves to come into alignment with the truth of God that we will not sin against God. We will hide the word of God in our heart that we will not sin again against him. We are going to live a life of righteousness, holiness, and purity for as long as we live on this earth. And we give you the honor and the glory and the praise in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. We would love to connect with you on Facebook or Instagram at Passion Church Mo. Until next time, God bless.